Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale. Brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly. Help getting your builder's registration? Call Master Builders Victoria today to discuss our member support program. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show on a cracking Melbourne day. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. Thank you very much to Jared Waitley. As he said, off to the airport uh, ahead of the big semi-final, the first of the semi-finals tonight between Pakistan and New Zealand at the SCG. Uh, in the next hour, we'll speak to one of his co-commentators uh, tonight. So you can hear it all around the SEN network from 6.30 tonight. Jared Waitley, Lisa Stalaka, and our guest uh, after one o'clock will be Trent Copeland, who will give us a preview to those games. Just give an insight from his point of view as well, where it all went wrong for Australia in this tournament and what they need to do in the T20 World Cup or T20 format of the game. I'm going to chat some AFLW as well uh, after two o'clock. We're going to speak some. Uh, we're going to speak the. Rebecca Miller is going to join us from the Tigers. And then we're also going to speak to uh, Vince Rigari from the Sydney Morning Herald. So he was the journal yesterday that broke the story about Mitch Langerak being left out of the Socceroos squad. Of course, the squad came out at four o'clock uh, yesterday, and that was proven to be true. Uh, Adam Taggart was another one that was reported uh, earlier yesterday that would be left out. That was right. Tommy Rogic was left out, which was another one that uh, raised some eyebrows, but... Um, Others say, well, it is fair enough, given he hasn't played much football and and didn't play in the or wasn't available for the crucial uh, qualifiers late in the campaign. And the interesting one, really, Trent Sainsbury leaving your son-in-law out. I mean, I hope he doesn't get uh, Trent in Chris Kringle this year, Graham Arnold. It's going to be a very, very awkward uh, Christmas if you if you're not aware of the story there that uh, Trent Sainsbury's had more than fifty caps for the Socceroos. Is married to Graham Arnold's daughter, so he had to leave him out. So that is uh, a little bit awkward. Uh, but uh, as Graham said, Trent accepted it. He hasn't played much football, uh, but uh, it would be interesting uh, family dynamic there. And, of course, we're looking back at drafts. We've been doing it all week. Uh, so there's uh, now 20, uh, 19 days to go uh, till this year's uh, AFL National Draft. So we're going back to 2003, and our guest today will be the Fremantle Dockers' first ever father-son selection, Brett Peake, who had an interesting career in the AFL, but his journey post-footy, has been absolutely fascinating uh, in his life and in his football life. Still captain coach uh, down in Albany, and he completely uh, transformed that club this year. So looks forward to speaking to Brett uh, about 1.30 this afternoon. Also this week, we've been uh, doing our countdown or about, about to start working through them, uh, the, the best moments in AFL uh, or the great moments in AFL since 2000. So we'll do uh, 17 to 22 today. So if you've got any more nominations, uh, you can always give us a call on the Werribee Kia Open Line Award, a National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. 
Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Or text in on the 40 Winks temper text 0433 Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Midday madness, of course, thanks to Melbourne Roadside Rescue. Wrong fuel extraction, search up shipcreek.com.au. Great topic with Jared. Uh, this morning in terms of you know, Jeff Fennick being retrospectively handed his his fourth world title. What other uh, sporting events or sporting results sh- should be reversed uh, now that happened uh, in the past? So there's been plenty thrown up. If you want to throw up any more, uh, feel free to give us a call. one 736 736 A couple of calls. We're going to get to Vince Regari uh, very, very shortly from the Sydney Morning Herald to break down this Socceroos squad. Let's go to Dave. Uh, in Melton, I think wants to talk about that topic and uh, what we just threw up with Jared uh, before the start of the show about the Magpies. G'day, Dave. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm Listen, good. I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. Being a Collingwood diehard and member, like, we should give those flags back just as long as the AFL strips Essendon of all their flags. What do you mean? De-register... The club and kick out of the AFL for all the cheating they've done since 2000. Well, we haven't won a flag since 2000. What one are you going to take off us? Flags back. And then you can have your flags back. <laughs> Hang on. So, yeah, we've made a few mistakes since 2000. We haven't won our last flag in 2000. So, what are you going to go and take 93, 84, 85, 65, 62? We're going to take it all off us, are you? Oh, you cheating mongrel. <laughs> Dave, come on. That's a little bit harsh. Oh, and you want to strip flags of us, and that's not harsh. <laughs> that's, that's cool. Well, I was going to say there's a bit of logic behind my suggestion. There's not a lot of logic. It's just a bit of fun. Uh, to be honest, Dave, thanks so much uh, for your call. Uh, one mystery craft beer bundle uh, coming your way uh, for getting us uh, underway today. So, yeah, there's been a lot of suggestions. In, in You know, there's... It's got to be, it can't just be sort of gut feel about, as I was sort of tongue-in-cheek suggesting they wouldn't have won in extra time in the 1990 qualifying final or the 2010 grand final. It's actually got to be definitive, and there's been a heap of examples that have been worked through with Jared this morning. So, as I say, if you've got any more, uh, send us through on the temper text 0433 or give us a call one 736 736 Let's get an early breakaway because Vince Regari. Uh, from the Sydney Morning Herald is going to discuss with us after the break, uh, just break down this Socceroos squad. And uh, good news overnight, just saw uh, a tweet from Daniel Garb that Harry Suto, who's coming back from his ACL, uh, played a full 90 minutes uh, in Stoke City's 2-0 win in the championship this morning. So more positive signs uh, for Harry Suter, who, all things being equal, uh, will be in the starting 11 in central defence uh, for the Socceroos in this World Cup. But this is afternoons for SEN, thanks to Brick Lane Brewing. Brick Lane, one love pale, pale ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. And Master Builders Victoria, get expert legal support, become a Master Builders Victoria member today. Brick Lane, one love pale ale. Perfect for all occasions and the ultimate crowd pleaser. Drink responsibly. Master Builders Victoria. Supporting Victorian builders for over 147 years. Not a member yet? Call today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. Before we get to Vince Regari from the Sydney Morning Herald to discuss the winners and losers and the overall thoughts of the Socceroos squad that was named by Graham Arnold yesterday, a couple of quick calls on the Werribee Kia open line. Uh, Tim from Brighton uh, wants to get involved. I think about a, a sporting result it should change retrospectively. G'day, Tim. 
G'day, Jules. Thanks for taking my call. I think I've probably got one of the top retrospectives of all time and would be uh, when um, <clears throat> England played uh, Argentina in the World Cup 1986 mm-hmm. and the hand of God yep. for Maradona. True, but they weren't winning at the time. So how do you make a definitive uh, call on the result of the game? Yeah, clearly not a goal, but the game finishes 1-1. So how do we make a definitive call on that? Who should advance in that game? Well, given the fact that he's, you know, also admitted that he that it was his hand and not an act of God, I think that's sort of uh, <laughs> enough to uh, turn the result. I mean, you know, it was a pretty significant game. Yeah, pretty big game. World Cup quarter final, no doubt about that. Hey, Tim, thanks for your nomination. A family pass to the women's big bash festival coming your way. Let's get to Justin in Manor Lakes. Good day, Justin. Yeah, mate, how are you going? Hey, just, just in support of that last caller, um, Maradona would have been red-carded and wouldn't have scored the second goal because he scored um, and The second goal was an absolute miracle. It was. One of the best goals you'll ever see, But um, which most people forget. Um, but uh, I, I called up because uh, Wayne Harms punched the ball from <laughs> out of bounds and cost Collingwood a grand final. And so I would like that one given back to us. But there's no definitive camera angle to say it was out of bounds, Justin. So how would a, how would a panel? Clearly look? out of. <laughs> how do you know it was clearly I've out of bounds? I was about ten years old. The first thing I ever watched on colour television at my uh, school friend's house. There was four Collingwood supporters watching it, and we all voted it was out of bounds. <laughs> well, well it's, it's been a very popular uh, selection this morning, uh, Justin. Out of uh, bounds on the floor. No, just a throw-in rod. Uh, thanks for your call, Justin. Aiden holes a golf for two with a cart at Club Mandalay. Log on to clubmandalay.com.au. You can get a game out there for two midweek for $99 with a cart and a drink as well. Beautiful on a day like today out at Club Mandalay. But obviously the big story yesterday uh, was the selection of the Socceroos 26-man squad for the World Cup. Like any squad, there was some unlucky to miss out. There was uh, some great stories in the squad as well. And Vince Regari uh, was the one that broke the story yesterday morning that probably the biggest shock omission goalkeeper Mitch Langerak has been good enough to join us this morning as we look at the squad what's right what's wrong and uh, who should be the most disappointed uh, morning Vince thanks for your uh, afternoon Vince thanks for your time no no worries mate how are you very very good now you broke the story yesterday about Mitch Langerak you, now we've heard what Graham Arnold said his explanation does it does it sit any more comfortably with you or do you still think this is a, a very very strange call not really for me, to be honest. I, I, I think it was a yeah a strange call. And um, look, if they weren't going to pick Mitch Langrack for the World Cup, I think they should have just left him alone. Um, he was happily retired from international football. Um, very keen, from my understanding, to, to cheer the boys on from afar. None of them have a problem with him. He's not some sort of uh, disruptive force. But, you know, they brought him back. And, um, and objectively, uh, he's it, number one, if not number two, you know, he's in the top two best goalkeepers Australia has right now at the moment. And that's no disrespect to the other guys who have made the squad or the other guys who are who are having a crack. That's just how good he's been going in Japan for so long. Um, and so to recall him from international retirement, to look at him as a potential, you know, emergency option if one of the other guys got injured between, um, you know, uh, the end of June or wherever it was and they qualified to... Um, to the World Cup itself. I think it's a little bit insulting for Mitch, to be honest. I think the whole process could have been handled uh, a little bit better. 
Uh, and uh, Graham Arnold got a lot right yesterday, in my opinion, with the squad. Um, uh, it's a really exciting squad. But for me, I'm, I'm not having the explanation um, around uh, that it was John Crawley's call, the goalkeeping coach. I'm sure it was, absolutely. Um, but Arnie needs to take some responsibility there. He took all the took a lot of the plaudits when we beat Peru in the penalty shootout. He said yesterday, I'm not a I'm not an expert on goalkeeping. Well, in June, it certainly seemed like he was when there were <laughs> yep. there was a bit of a bit of glory to bask in. So, yeah, it was. It's just taken a little bit of the of gloss off yesterday for me. Mitch is a very popular person mm. in Australian football. A lovely guy. I think he deserved better. Um, but you know, we're, we're taking three fantastic goalkeepers as well. Is the other side of it? That's for sure. So. I mean, one of the suggestions was, you know, jobs for the boys because he's got a great relationship with Danny Vukovic. Is that completely unfair? Uh, yeah, I think it is a little bit unfair. Um, but at the same time, you know, John Crawley has worked with um, Matt Ryan, Andrew Redmayne and Mitch Lang... Uh, not Mitch Langerak, sorry. Um, Danny Vukovic for a long time. So he knows these guys really well. So you could look at it as jobs for the boys, but you can also look at it for, um, you know, he's a particular goalkeeping coach with particular methods and these guys know his system very well um, and that's completely fine. If that's the route they wanted to go down, that's completely fine. I just reckon they shouldn't have bothered Mitch Langerak to begin with to get him out of international retirement. There are other guys I think they could have looked at if all they were looking for was uh, someone to come in if one of those guys was going to be injured. I think there's guys who are capable. Uh, Lawrence Thomas at Western Sydney Wanderers is a great goalkeeper and um, you know, got his best years ahead of him. Joe Gauchy coming through at Adelaide United is one for the future, absolutely. Uh, Mark Birigidi used to be, uh, last season, I think he was the goalkeeper of the year in the A-League, left the Mariners to go to Scotland at Dundee United. Uh, and that's turned out a bit of a disaster for him, to be honest. But I think he's back in the team and doing okay. So there's other options there. So if they're looking for a third, fourth, fifth string goalkeeper, I don't think they needed to even, you know, convince Mitch Langerak to come out of retirement there. Speaking with Vince Agari from the Sydney Morning Herald about the Socceroos squad, uh, Tommy Rogic left out. Any any issue with that, or do you feel you know Tommy has been his his own worst enemy over the last six to nine months, changing clubs, not being available for the the crucial last set of qualifiers? It's sort of he's sort of got himself to blame, really. Yeah, I'm okay with that call. To be honest, I think that's the right call. Um, as good as a player Tommy Rogic is, and as good as he's been for the Socceroos for many years. Um, this is a very particular World Cup, you know. The players are going to land, um, start start landing this coming weekend, as am I, thankfully. Um, and then they've got a week after that to prepare for their first game. So it's not like other World Cups where you get three, three and a half weeks in camp where blokes who aren't playing can, can you know, gather up a bit of steam and stuff like that and rehab injuries. You've got to be fit. You've got to get ready. And there's three-day turnaround. It's not five like a normal World Cup. So in that context... I think it would have been a real punt to pick Tom Rogic because he just hasn't been playing enough. We don't know how fit he is. And there are other guys who deserve to be picked. Like for me, uh, it looks like uh, Keanu Bacchus, Riley Magria, the other options have been picked in that attack and midfield role as sort of backup to Aidan Krustich. And that's fair enough. Those guys have been on fire in their, in their respective competitions overseas and, and Tommy Rogic hasn't. And that's a, that's a shame because he's a fantastic player, but you've got to reward currency in form, in my opinion, not just go with reputation. Um, and that, that's where he falls short. Just on that, Vince, you mentioned this is a, you know, this is a very different World Cup, the timing of the year, given it's, you know, you know mid, not midway, but a fair way into seasons all around the world, shorter turnarounds between games. Do you think that's going to lead to some more unpredictable 
results in this World Cup or the cream will just rise to the top like it always does? Yeah, I, I think there's... I think the answer is both, to be honest. I reckon there's about six teams, uh, and it's a, it's a hard one to pick, to be honest, who's going to win it. There's about six uh, who I reckon can, can give it a nudge, and to be honest, that's no different from most years, is it really? But I do think there's going to be some funny things happening at this World Cup because of all this stuff, you know? Um, there's going to be guys who no one expected to be playing well come in and do well. You know, there's guys who are going to be struggling to perform at their clubs, whatever club that happens to be over the world who might turn in a shocker. I, I think I think there's going to be some shocks at this World Cup for sure. That The country is unfamiliar for a lot of nations, especially European nations. They've not been there. Fortunately, we have many times. It was our home away from home, Qatar, during qualifying. Um, yeah, I, I just get the sense there's going to be some weird and wacky results at this World Cup. How deep they go in the tournament, I don't know. But I'm, I'm definitely prepared for a, for a shock or two, and hopefully they fall in our favour. When the squad was announced yesterday, who were you most pleased for that, that made the squad? Oh, good question. Uh, there's, there's about half a dozen selections there that I'm wrapped about. But look, personally, I'm, I'm thrilled to see Garang Qual yep. and Jason Cummings in there. Um, those two uh, are really exciting players, uh, really ripping bikes too. Garang is just like totally unfuckable. None of the hype that surrounds him for the last nine months or so bothers him one bit. It's, it's, it's amazing. And Jason Cummings is hilarious. But he's also turned his career around in, in a remarkable way that a lot of people who don't follow Australian soccer very closely wouldn't understand. This guy was, this guy was, uh, he, he's seen as a has-been, or actually it never was probably in Scotland. Um, uh, he did some silly things off the field in terms of, you know, drinking, public acts and stuff, nothing too criminal or anything like that. But he was just basically seen as, as, as a larrikin who, who didn't know how to, how to rein it in and concentrate on his football. So he comes out here... His mum's Aussie. Uh, his brother has lived in Perth for a little while playing NPL football over there. And he's come here with the right attitude. He's got himself fit. He's playing consistent football for the Mariners. And he's bought into Australian football and the whole culture here with the Socceroos and the A-League. He cares about it. He's a, he's a great club man at the Mariners. And for me to see him get a, a what's really a second crappy international football for him because he did play one or two friendlies for Scotland about five or six years ago. That's just a great story for me. So I'm, so I'm really, really happy about him. And I think him and Garang, if they ever get on the field together for the Socceroos, they've got a, a really nice chemistry going that we've seen for the Mariners uh, in recent weeks. And there's something there for Australia, I think, too. What have you made of the whole situation around Christian Volpato? He put up a really nice Instagram today just explaining that you know, there's a lot of speculation about his um, you know, international future, but right now he's not ready to, to make that decision. And Graham Arnold was pretty honest. He said he'd be in the squad. He gave him a couple of hours to think about it before he declined. Um, how have you sort of read the whole situation and can you see him being a Socceroo down the track or is it just it's just too hard to predict at this stage? It's a bit hard to call, but I'd say it's more unlikely than likely. Um, I can't pretend I'm not disappointed with it. Um, he's obviously a great player with a big future ahead of him. Um, but at 18 years old, he's made the decision to turn down a World Cup. Not, not, not the maybe of a World Cup, not a, not a possibility of a World Cup, but a plane ticket to the World Cup next week. And for me, that's, an, that's a massive call to make. Mm. I know people will say he's only 18 and he hasn't made his mind up yet. Well, look, I think about when I was that sort of age, and sure, I was never an athlete, but I definitely knew where my heart lied yeah. um, or laid. And Craig Moore has made a similar comment not too long ago on Twitter saying, you know, he got he got asked at 18 to play for England for, um, 
but by Ter- uh, Terry Venables. And he said no because he dreamed of playing for the Soccer Roots. So it really comes down to what what's inside Christian's heart. And if it's Italy, then he should go and pursue that. Um, and I think he should be should be honest about it. And if he falls short, because there's no guarantees in life or football, obviously. So he might be on this great path right now, but just because he is doesn't mean he's he's on a guaranteed conveyor belt to the Azuri. That's not how it works. So there's a chance he could come back to us four years down the track. The question for us then will be, do we want to accept a player who's not fully committed to the Socceroos or, or had second thoughts when not just a jersey was dangled in front of him, but a bloody World Cup spot? Yeah. I mean, that's massive. Um, so I, I think it's time for us to move on, really, on him. Um, there's some other players coming through. There's a lot of excitement about the next generation of Australian footballers who are coming through the A-League at the moment and um, some doing really well overseas. And, you know, this World Cup will go and it's time for us to look at look at them and, and concentrate on them um, instead of Christian. Although we'll still take some some pride in what Christian does in football. And I certainly will as, a, as an Italian as well of, of my heritage. I, I get to follow him either way. I do wish, though, that he would be with us for this World Cup. Well, I think that's a fair point you make. I mean, regardless of the talent, you, you shouldn't have to try and convince someone to play more well, for their country. I wouldn't have thought so. No, no, not at all. I mean, for me, it, it makes sense to hedge your bets and, and be a little bit transactional when it comes to club football, right? Because that's, you know, that's your bread and butter. That's your salary. That's, that's, that's football, right? But for me, the international game is still a very romantic uh, thing. And it's an emotional thing. And I think you've got to go where your heart's telling you to go. And at the end of the day, if his, if his heart is not telling him to go for Australia, if his heart is telling him to hesitate about the possibility of playing for the Socceroos at a World Cup, then he's made the right call. And I think Arnie's done the right thing in offering him that to get a little bit of clarity in terms of what he's thinking. Um, and that's the way it is, unfortunately. So, you know, everyone looks at these things differently as well, right? Like, you know, uh, which country you belong to is such a subjective thing. And, you know, I might feel about one way, but, you know, my cousins might think about it another way. And, you know, person to person, it's very different. And, and it's, it's, it's a little bit hard to lecture people about this and, and say, you should have done this, you should have done that. You can only call it from your perspective. So that's the way I see it. And uh, I, I wish Christian all the best. Always tough. I was speaking to Vince Regari from the Sydney Morning Herald. Always tough to tell players they're not in a World Cup squad. But the, the, the dynamic between Trent Sainsbury and Graham Arnold is fascinating, given it is his son-in-law. But, but was it was this just a common-sense decision? And if you take away the, the family ties, it, it wouldn't have been that hard a decision for Graham Arnold? Or was this a tough call for, for him regardless? Uh, look, a, a bit of both. I, I, I thought Arnie was going to pick Trent. Uh, and I didn't think you should pick him. I think Arnie's made the right call here. Um, Trent's a little bit lucky in terms of if Harry Sutar and Kai Rolls were both fit um, and had played a lot of football in the last however many months since they've been injured, uh, Trent would be a long way back in the conversation for me. So, um, you know, I think the, the question marks around them open the door for him a little bit, but I look at the people who have been selected and, and I can't put Trent ahead of them based on his recent form um, he played for the Socceroos in that first friendly in New Zealand two months ago, and his first 20 minutes were, were, were really poor, to be honest. Um, he's a fantastic player whose career should have taken him to greater heights um, than what they have. But the World Cup's not about what you could have been or should have been. Mm. It's about who you are right now. And for me, uh, Milos Dejanek, 
Thomas Deng, who's a terrific player, who's just won promotion from the Japanese second tier with his club. They go ahead of him. Kai Rolls and Harry Sutar. Harry's just played 90 minutes uh, this morning. Yeah, in City, So he's made his official return, which is fantastic. Kai Rolls is back playing as well. He got a few minutes off the bench uh, for Hearts, I think, in their last game. So they're, they're going to be fit. The questions about them are going to be about match fitness. Um, but if they're fit, I think Arnie's made the right call here with Trent. He just hasn't shown enough recently. And it's a, it's a big call to make, obviously, with the family dynamics, as you say. But that's, that's why Arnie gets paid the big bucks. And, he, and he's pulled the right rein there for me. As you mentioned off the top, it's an exciting squad and there's some young talent come, coming through. So looking at the World Cup and the opponents we've got to face, what's the strength in this squad and then obviously in, in the starting 11s that they pick that, that might trouble whether it's France, whether it's Denmark or whether it's Tunisia? Yeah, good question. It's definitely not our strongest soccer squad. I mean, when you compare it to past ones and the group's really tough, right? Like France are France, Denmark... Uh, dark horses to win the whole thing. They've got a, a fantastic squad for sure. Uh, and Tunisia are no mugs either. I think they beat Japan 4 0 not too long ago in Japan. So if we're looking at them as easy beats, we, we might be doing them as them and ourselves a little bit of a disservice. Um, for me, the, the strength is if they can if they can conjure up that that spirit that that sort of manic nature about them that they showed in June in the playoffs against Peru in the UAE where everything was on the line. And they played like like absolute maniacs, to be honest. It was great. It was relentless. They're pressing. They're pressure. They're tackling. Okay, the football itself wasn't super flash. And, and you know, we, we got there by the skin of our teeth, really, by, by winning a penalty shootout. But if we can bring that vibe and then in a second half, throw in blokes like Garan Quoll, Jason Cummings, Jamie McLaren, who, okay, the, the opponents might know a little bit about McLaren, but they probably don't know heaps about Quoll and Cummings. Um, and and Quoll just gives me... I, I know he's got so long to go in his career, right? Um, hasn't even started an A-League match for the Mariners. But every game I've seen him in where he's come off the bench, he's changed it. And at some point, you just got to make a call that it's, it's this kid is special. It's not, the, it's not the fact he's playing against poor opposition. It's not any of that. He's done it for the Mariners. He's done it for Australia against New Zealand. He did it for the A-League All-Stars against Barcelona. And for me, I think our best chance of nabbing something are, you know, second half of the yeah. game, throw on Gorangsky. Uh, and, you know, he's got... I spoke to Harry Kewell about a week ago about this, and he said, you know, if you've got someone on the bench who's got pace that can really frighten defenders, that's, that's the most potent weapon to have. Um, and uh, that, that's, that's, I think, how, how we're going to go about it. You know, we're, gonna, we're probably going to sit back. We're going to sit back, but we're also going to get in the opponent's face with our pressing and our pressure. And then we're hopefully going to kind of pin something on the counter. And um, and Garang, for me, looks like our best outlet, along with uh, Aidan Krustich and Martin Boyle, who are fantastic players as well, but also coming off injury clouds. Uh, so hopefully they'll be 100% fit. Arnie said he's made a few risks with his selection in terms of injured blokes. We'll see how that goes. But, but that's how I see our, our best chance of playing out, Jules. Uh, last one before I let you go, Vince. I think I heard you say at the start of the interview, you're off to the World Cup. Um what are you expecting from this World Cup? I think most of the world agrees it's it's not the venue for it. It's not the right time. Sepp Blatter's finally come around to the fact of what the rest of the world is thinking and that it wasn't the right decision to award it to Qatar. Well, what are you expecting from this World Cup? Uh, hard to say. Move into Qatar. Um, I hear it's nice and I hear the people are lovely um, and I hear the hospitality is fantastic. 
Uh, we'll see when we land, obviously. I don't know if they've got the fondest of, uh, opinion of Australians anymore after the Socceroos statement uh, of protest a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think there's positives to this World Cup. I think it's actually good that they've taken it to a Middle Eastern country. There's no reason why we shouldn't be doing that. They're, you know, they're a significant part of the world as well. Um, and I think it's actually, you know, I'm hoping it's not going to be gridlock on the streets and long lines to get into anywhere that sells you a beer because you're going to have 1.2 million people travelling there <laughs> for this tournament, apparently. It's all going to be condensed into one small area the size of, really, Sydney's suburban sprawl. That's how big it is. Um, but there's benefits to that because, you know, you can go to literally any game. Um, you don't have to fly across the country like you would in a place like Germany or Brazil or Russia. It's all right there. So there's, there's real benefits to that. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I just wish the whole process and lead up wasn't shrouded in controversy, corruption allegations, uh, questions about human rights and LGBTQI rights. I mean, that's unfortunately, that's the way it's happened. And people will use their voices to, you know, say what they really think about these things and, and players might, you know, protest on the field and all this sort of stuff. But in terms of the tournament itself, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I do wish it was held somewhere else, or at the very least, though, you know, uh, a much better and fairer process that, that ran through it. But uh, unfortunately, I don't get to make those calls, mate. No, that's right. Uh, well, Vince, Maybe one day. Yeah, one day. One day. Just make your way up through uh, FIFA. <laughs> hey, Vince, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a great chat. And uh, enjoy the World Cup. We all love a World Cup, and no matter the timing or the venue, so it should be fantastic football. Thanks again for your time. My pleasure, mate. Thank you. Vince Regari from the Sydney Morning Herald. Let's get uh, the latest from the newsroom. Sophie Alice Baxter from the A-Rod today. Very, very nice. Yesterday was disappointing, Rod. You're up and down, so not a bad start today uh, with the music. Hey, plenty of time to take your calls on the Werribee Care open line between now and 1 o'clock. We'll speak with Trent Copeland, uh, part of the SEN commentary team tonight from 6.30 for the first World Cup semi-final. It's Pakistan versus New Zealand at the SCG. He'll be joined in commentary by Jared Waitley and Lisa Stalaker. So give us a call on the Werribee Care open line, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. We've got some fantastic... Prizes to give away. It's still Midday Madness thanks to Melbourne at Roadside Rescue. Put the wrong fuel in your car. Visit upshipcreek.com.au. Great chat there with Vince Regari. Very honest uh, with his assessment of the Christian Volpato situation. Uh, interesting off the uh, temper text. Getting some mixed feedback uh, on that one, uh, the 40 Winks uh, temper. So got a couple here. Uh, two Australian clubs rejected Volpati and couldn't see his talent. He had to go to Italy to be identified and now playing in Serie A for Roma. Australia rejected him and being 18, he doesn't trust the Australian system. I would be wary as well, especially with Graham Arnold's coach, says Rock in Brunswick. Uh, it goes both ways, says another one here. How many players with very little or no connection to Australia other than a relative have we called up for the Socceroos over Aussie born and developed uh, talent? Um, another one here. As a first-generation Australian with Italian heritage, I completely understand the decision to play for Italy. I've always said to my friends, when it comes to sport, I want to wear the baggy green, but I also want to wear the blue when it comes to Italian football, uh, says Antonio. Uh, a couple more off the 40 weeks temper about uh, sports results that, in retrospect, uh, could be changed. And that was off the back of... Uh, 
this last night's announcement that Jeff Fennick has now been awarded a fourth world title after he was completely robbed against Azuma Nelson over in Las Vegas. And speaking of Jeff Fennick, he will be on the run home this afternoon with uh, Andy Ma and Andy Gay. So it'll be great to hear uh, from Jeff himself. There's just a couple others in terms of uh, AFL. How about Jimmy Hurd and Robert Harvey give back Chris Grant's two Brownlows? Well, not two Brownlows, the Corey McKernan. Uh, it was 96. He would have tied uh, with Michael Voss and James Hurden. I think we get a bit confused around the Chris Grant one. Now, if that was if he went in front of the tribunal right now, Chris Grant would be suspended. No doubt about that. Now, the problem was back in 97, it wasn't so much the fact he was suspended. It was the process that went through. And basically, Ian Collins, who was the general manager of the AFL at the time, basically pushed it on uh, the, the, the for it to be thrown up to the tribunal when he had been previously cleared. So I think... If the actual incident was scrutinised again by the modern-day tribunal, Chris Grant would still be uh, suspended. Another one, he haven't seen this one yet, but how about Ashley Sampy being pushed out of the contest to allow Sydney to win the 05 Grand Final at the death? Leo Barry's mark, not fair. Love your Collingwood comments, by the way, says Ben in Adelaide. Yeah, he was definitely held in that marking contest. So if you went back 15 metres out directly in front, give him the free kick, I reckon Ashley Sampy kicks that goal. Just one more... Uh, before we get to the break, Simon from Frankston. Uh, great show. Geelong was robbed in 2010 qualifying final when Cameron Mooney laid a perfect tackle. The ball spilled out to Cameron Ling, who ran in and gold for an amazing win. So that was about 40 seconds to go, I reckon. The crowd went nuts, but the umpire called it in the back. And the goal was disallowed. The siren rang and the rest is history. That could have changed the direction of the 2010 finals. Cats might have won a night of the flag. Says, no, they wouldn't have. No one was beaten Collingwood in 2010. I know the Saints got very close by drawing in the grand final, but we saw what Collingwood did Geelong in the prelim that year. Geelong weren't beating the Pies uh, that year. So keep them coming through. As I say, get on the Werribee Care open line. Got some fantastic prizes uh, to give away. This is Afternoons for Essie. I'm going to play some comments from Max Gorn after the break. He spoke yesterday about the excitement uh, he's feeling about playing alongside Brody Grundy. But this is afternoon, thanks to Brick Lane Brewing. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. And Master Builders Victoria, get expert OHS support. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, perfect for all occasions and the ultimate crowd pleaser. Drink responsibly. Master Builders Victoria, supporting Victorian builders for over 147 years. Not a member yet, all today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. I see it working really well. I'm really, really excited. I'm really bullish about the fact it can work. Two-time All-Australian, two-time Best and Fairest winner for half his salary. Like, it's an amazing get. <laughs> like, come in, Brody. I'm more than happy. <laughs> if he can help us win a flag, which I think he can. Reece Stanley sort of played behind the ball and Blitzards and Hawkins dominated around the ground. So maybe keeping teams on their toes. Could be Brody forward, could be me forward, could be both in the rough. Could play one, one could play mid. Probably not, but one could. What a lot of hypotheticals there uh, for Max Gorn. Look, it's going to be one of the stories of uh, season, season 2023. Just how that works. Can Brody Grundy get back to his best and how that combination uh, performs? A bit of other uh, footy news around today. So that was Max Gorn on Channel 9 last night. Uh, the retirement of Rory Thompson at the Gold Coast Sun. Such an unlucky player. Basically didn't play senior footy for four years after a couple of uh, ACLs. Got back this year and then injured his knee again. 
and unfortunately a really promising key defender. 106 games have played most of those uh, right from the offset uh, in uh, the Gold Coast Suns' uh, history. So unfortunately, uh, the body just hasn't held up for Rory Thompson and he has called it a day. Uh, plenty more coming off uh, the 40 Winks temper. Don't forget you can get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep, about uh, sporting results that retrospectively should have been changed. Uh, I don't mind this one from Steve. Uh, the Fitzroy versus Adelaide match in Footy Park, a rort in 1991, the most rigged finished you'll ever see. I think if you listen to Peter McKenna's commentary, uh, so Rod Jamison kicked the goal after the siren. Peter McKenna thinks exactly what Steve thought, that they were absolutely robbed in that game. Uh, Fitzroy, uh, Saints supporter here, Greg. Uh, apparently it's okay for Tom Hawkins to hit the post and still score a goal in the grand final. Uh, yeah, but the, you lost by 12 points. So... Doesn't change the result. Uh, Geelong semi versus Adelaide. Uh, Lee Colbert takes mark of the year in the forward line. And umpire Grant Vernon called play on other hometown Adelaide decisions all night. Cats Rob. History actually doesn't actually dispute it. Again, halfway through the third quarter, game wasn't decided by less than a kick. So it doesn't get off. Interesting point here uh, made about, um, we talked about the Chris Grant and the Corey McKernan decisions could have been overturned. Patrick Cripps got off on a legal technicality after numerous appeals. He subsequently won the Brownlow medal. So one could argue Corey McKernan and Chris Grant are just as deserving, says J-Dog. It's a fair point because back then we didn't have an AFL appeals uh, board. So there was no option for players apart from actually going to court uh, to get suspensions overturned. And we saw that with Andrew Dunkley. After the 96 prelim, we saw it with Greg Williams after he was um, suspended uh, for pushing the umpire. That that also went to court. So it was a bit of a different system uh, back then, just before the break. This is a little bit unfair. Retrospective media interviews. Julian could have had a great interview if only he'd recognised Paddy Mills and Aaron Baines. Would have altered TV history. Well... If I had a cameraman told me they were in the background, that would have been better. But that is a different story. Let's get another breakaway. Trent Copeland, not too far away. He's part of the commentary team tonight. Okay, Australia aren't in the semifinals of the uh, T20 World Cup. I've got two great semifinals. Pakistan versus New Zealand tonight. England versus India tomorrow night. Uh, so it'll be Trent Copeland, Jared Waitley and Lisa St- Stalaka on SEN right around the country from 6.30pm tonight. You're listening to Afternoons thanks to Brick Lane Brewing and Master Builders Victoria. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly. Help getting your builder's registration? Call Master Builders Victoria today to discuss our member support program. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. Getting ready for the first of the semifinals in the T20 World Cup. It is New Zealand versus Pakistan at the SCG tonight. What a commentary team SEN have assembled for this one. Jared Waitley, Lisa Stalaker, and our next guest, Trent Copeland, who's been good enough to join us uh, this afternoon. G'day, Trent. G'day, Jules. How are you going? Very, very well. It's, uh, I guess, from the World Cup's point of view, we're all disappointed Australia's not in the semifinals, but... It has been a wonderful tournament, and now we've got two absolutely mouth-watering semi-finals in store. Yeah, I, I really cannot wait for tonight in particular. Before the tournament started, I was talking about the Pakistan team. Uh, no one was really talking about them. Everyone was sort of flagging how good Australia were going, uh, India, England, and the like. And, yeah, I mean, some of these players in this team. Babarazam hasn't scored a run this tournament. Uh, I absolutely love watching him play. When he's flying, he's one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world in this format. And Shaheen Afridi with that brand-new ball, left arm, absolute rockets. 
uh, I can't wait to see those two go to work. And then New Zealand, I mean, this is the venue where they absolutely torched Australia in that first game. Finn Allen uh, and then that bowling group. I mean, Trent Bolt, Southie, they just go to work in the power play and they always get results. So, yeah, this is a ripper. And then look, we haven't even touched on the second semi. It's going to be... I don't know who's going to win, but that's probably the best thing for Australian cricket fans. Just on the Pakistan team, their bowling has been sensational, but can they beat a team like New Zealand if one of their openers doesn't fire tonight? Well, that's the difficulty, isn't it? And I think there's a lot of teams around the world that are top-heavy. Um, if if someone like Baba Azam doesn't get going, Rizwan and numerous others, I mean, Shadab Khan pulled them out of the fire the other day with some absolute fireworks in the middle order. But, yeah, look, I would say most teams are going to struggle if none of the top three get any runs. If you see, even New Zealand, if you see no runs from Finn Allen, uh, Williamson, Devon Conway, they're going to struggle too. So I think it is it is a good point. Um, but I, I think the SCG is such a good uh, place for top order batting. And I think that's where it's going to be. We've heard Matthew Hayden, who's working with the Pakistan team, talk about the SCG as a really good venue uh, for Pakistan. But as you mentioned, you know, um, New Zealand play it really well and thrashed Australia there. How, how important do you think Matthew Hayden's influence is on this Pakistan team, particularly when we're playing in Australian conditions in a tournament like this? Oh, I don't know if you saw his little pep talk. Yeah, I did. The game the other day. But, uh, yeah, I mean, how good is it? I mean, we're very lucky at Kevin to have Haydos, big Haydos talking cricket. Uh, with us, and I know he does it a lot for Star in India uh, during the IPL. I mean, who better to be talking about winning games of cricket in Australia and, you know, even just how people view an opposition team. He was one of those guys where when he walked out on the field, it wasn't just his bat that did the talking. It was his persona. It was how he carried himself. Teams feared him. And I guess that's what he's instilling in these Pakistani guys that, you know, they need to walk out there and understand that they are as good, if not better, than any other team in the world when they're playing their best. And no one wants to play them when they're playing their best best cricket. So, yeah, I think he is having a big role. And, you know, you think about Mike Hussey in the England shirt uh, at the moment with Matthew Mott, um, two Aussies at the helm there as well. So, I mean, unfortunately, we've got Aussies bloody everywhere. I was going to say that. It's not a new thing. We've got, you know, Dan Christian and Ryan Campbell. But... It is tough hearing Mike Hussey speak as part of the England coaching setup, isn't it? That one is a little bit tough to take. Oh, oh that's an understatement, mate. <laughs> I think it's just ridiculous. I'm in the Huss as it is, but the fact that he's put on the England show, he's talking about getting a two if they win the World Cup, that's just getting a bit ridiculous. But no, in all seriousness, I mean, you know, this is what we love about world cricket is that you know, you're tapping into the best cricket minds no matter where you are in the world. And the IPL is probably the one thing that's really opened the doors for, you know, let's get the best people in the best coaching roles, irrelevant of nationality. Speaking to Trent Copeland, who will be part of the SEN call team tonight with Jared Waitley and Lisa Stalaker for the first of the semifinals in the T20 World Cup between Pakistan and New Zealand. Just on the Kiwis, I think a lot of people in Australia really like this New Zealand team. They've been an outstanding team across all forms for a few years now. Do you do you feel like this group really deserves to win a major tournament? Yeah, they really do. If you look back at particularly the, the white ball formats, the World Cup in England, the 50-over format, and numerous other sort of big tournaments, they've really dominated until the big dance and then fallen short. 
um, and even in the World Test Championship and things like that, they they are a team that is you know, underdogs in a lot of contests. But you could argue that they're the favourites now from this point forward. Uh, and I think if they put their best foot forward tonight, they'll really go into a World Cup final feeling like, you know what, we're good enough to just dominate anyone. doesn't matter who's out there, what they play like, uh, we can do it. And guys like Finn Allen, you know, before the tournament started, I was sitting with Jared and Dan Christian at the SCG questioning whether they got that right, whether they left out Guptill for a young guy that we'd heard a bit about, but we didn't know, you know, necessarily if it was the right call. Geez, they've got it right. And they've got it right on a large portion, large scale for the last sort of five years just without that big major trophy. So, you know what? As a neutral, I really hope they do get it done. Yeah, Finn Allen, only 91 runs in the tournament, but 190 uh, strike rate that he's going at. Just on that, you mentioned there about, uh, you know, as a neutral, you hope New Zealand win. Who do you think the Australian public wants to win this game? Like, as I said, there's a lot of affection for New Zealand, but I think after what we've seen with the scenes with India and Pakistan at the MCG, and then, of course, the other night, India... For essentially a dead rubber, 82,000 fans turning up. Do you think there's a big majority or a big portion of the Australian public now that would just love to see an India-Pakistan final? I mean, uh, you would probably know this better, but I've spoken to a lot of AFL mates of mine, or mates of mine that love AFL, live in Melbourne and talk about things like the prelim final, uh, the AFL grand final as being, you know, just the pinnacle of sports that you can watch at that venue that went to the game between India and Pakistan and said, that's close to the best thing I've ever witnessed. You know, the atmosphere, the the game that it was, how it finished, um, but just the passion from the fans. I mean, just imagine if we got a World Cup final, uh, you know, not just a round game, but a World Cup final between those two teams. It would just be off the charts. So, I mean, yeah, as a, as a neutral, I mentioned about New Zealand uh, winning it, but I mean... As an Aussie cricket fan and cricket nuffy that I am, I'm sure a lot of other people are exactly the same. That'd be epic. Yeah, there's no doubt. Everyone that went to that game said exactly the same thing. That the noise throughout the whole game, and even you know walking around the concourse hours before the game, even the night before, there was Indian supporters getting yeah. into the spirit of it. So it would be an amazing World Cup final. Looking ahead to tomorrow night, to India and England. That that's a really tough game on paper to, to pick a winner. Which way are you leaning in that one? Uh, I think I haven't wavered from the fact that England's best day, I think, is the best team in the tournament. So, um, look, I, I totally agree with you. You look at the, both of those teams on paper and there are superstars everywhere you look, all 11 players on both sides. In fact, all 15 players on both sides uh, in the dugout. The guys that have been left out would make most other teams uh, in that contest. So, look, I, I rest on if I'm going to pick and put my neck out I want, okay, if both teams play their best, I think it's England that comes out on top. And I think largely it's because of who I think is the best batter in world cricket in T20 cricket, and that is Joss Butler, uh, I think, at the top of the order. If India can knock him over inside that power play, I think they can win the game. But if Butler gets away, no one can stop him. Yeah, it should be a fantastic semi-final, that one as well. I've got to ask you about the Australian team. Clearly a, a disappointing tournament from from your point of view if you could maybe pinpoint one thing they should have done differently whether it was in the lead up or in the tournament what would it be i mean if you're looking at needing to win a game by the length of the straight and knock over a team for a certain total to make sure you win and win big the two bowlers in our entire squad that i would say 
have it in them to take multiple wickets in any given over. Adam Zampa and Mitchell Stark. The fact that Mitchell Stark didn't play our last game. Uh, some of the rationales come out. It's obviously in hindsight that I'm pointing this out. And I understand selection is a difficult game. Uh, but to me, if there's a guy who can break open a game, particularly when we saw him at the Gabba against Ireland, swing it back into the right-hander and knock a few guys over, I think that's the one thing that sticks out as maybe something that we maybe got wrong. Um, but other than that, I think largely for the last 18 to 24 months, Australia have improved a lot in T20 cricket. We've won a World Cup less than 12 months ago. Uh, it's not all doom and gloom, but there's certainly things there that Ronnie and the guys, George Bailey, the selection group, um, will learn from, um, no doubt, and probably attack the next tournament maybe head on. I guess the thing is, and it's been spoken about a bit this week, we're speaking to Trent Copeland, who will be part of the commentary team tonight for the first semi-final between it. Uh, New Zealand and Pakistan with Jared Waitley and Lisa Stalaker from the Sydney Cricket Ground. Is it, there's, there's no real international T20 cricket for a while, so it sort of goes on the maybe on the back burner a little bit. But in terms of when this next Australian team plays in the T20, have you got a couple of names of players that aren't in the side at the moment that you'd really like to see pushing up for selection in that team? Yeah, well, and the great thing is, mate, that I'm sure you're the same here. The BBL is actually, you know, everyone knows these names. Everyone knows the people that are out there that are dominating the level below. And in fact, it's the great precursor to really strong international performances. Guys that I see sticking their heads up, um, are Nathan Ellis in particular, I think he's been outstanding when given the opportunity and was right on the cusp of this World Cup team, no doubt. Just offers so much uh, different uh, skill sets and, and particularly death bowling to every other bowler we have. Height, stature, um, how he attacks the, the batters and things like that. And Ben McDermott at the top of the order, if we're looking, say, uh, Aaron Finch long-term replacement, even Davey Warner, who's not young either, uh, he's one that's really stuck his hand up and dominated and started to dominate other competitions around the world. Um, and then probably just you're getting into the likes of a Mitch Swepson, Tanvir Sanger, uh, leg spinner. Maybe we go with a, a dual leg spin uh, sort of situation like England have done in the past, also India as well. So there are a few names that I think could jump into the team um, in the next 12 to 18 months. The Glenn Maxwell comments post uh, not making the semi-finals sort of raise some eyebrows. Some saying, well, that's you know, it's the right way to handle a loss. And, and in cricket, you've got to move on really quickly because there's one-day internationals coming up and there's a big summer of cricket. Others thought it was a, a bit of a reflection on how the Australian team feels about T20 cricket. Do you think... Australian players and the Australian public uh, stretching it a bit further are as passionate about international T20 cricket as some of the other nations that we're competing against? Uh, yes, I think so. It's easy to, I guess, judge comments in isolation like that. Uh, it's You ask any of these guys, do they want to win a World Cup? There's no doubt that they want to win the World Cup and they just did win a World Cup and understand the magnitude of this, you know, that achievement. So... Yeah, look, I found it interesting the amount of um, criticism that he's copped and even just generally speaking, the team has copped for not winning uh, the T20 World Cup or at least making the semis. Yeah, they didn't play their best cricket, but it was largely in one game and, and they won the rest of their games and missed out. So it is a short tournament. It is T20 cricket that can happen. A game can slip away and uh, you know so quickly from you. Uh, that I think you need to sort of 
have an attitude where, man, you, this game can be gone in a second and that can be the tournament over. We need to understand that, okay, that did happen this time, but let's attack it next time. And, um, yeah, it hurts, but we do need to move on. There's a huge summer ahead, things like that. That's how I look at it. Um, and I know a few of the bowling groups uh, around the world in sort of franchise T20 cricket talk openly and honestly about the fact that you can't live and die by every game. Otherwise, you'll just go insane. If you bowl your best set of four overs three games in a row against the same opposition, even at the same venue, you're going to have a game where you go two for 30, you're going to have a game where you go none for 60, and you'll have a game where you go five for 10, and you haven't done anything different. So it's a game where you really need to you know, understand that the ebbs and flows and how quickly things happen isn't always your doing. Um, but the, yeah, you then need to move on really quickly, which is, I think, where Maxi was going with that. Yeah, we've seen that in this tournament with a lot of unpredictable results. Before I let you go, Trent, it's been a tournament that unfortunately uh, has been mired by bad weather, particularly up the East Coast. But looking at the forecast in Sydney today, it's, uh, it's looking pretty good. Yeah, it's an absolute beauty of a day. It has been the last two days as well. So I think the SCG, I mean, even if it does rain on game day, the SCG is pretty good at getting up. Um, provided that it doesn't rain during the fixture. So I think we're looking pretty good at the moment. And hopefully, yeah, the, the rain that's marred the whole tournament and largely, hopefully, everyone's uh, recovering okay from the just, you know, those floods that yeah. were you know, smashing the East Coast all up and down. Uh, everyone's starting to regroup. And, and, yeah, hopefully these finals and the big the big dance coming up aren't affected by rain at all. But it looks looks sweet today. I'm looking out the window right now, and we're good as gold. Yeah, it doesn't look too good on Melbourne on Sunday, but we'll uh, have to wait and see. Uh, Trent, thanks so much for your time. We can't wait <laughs> oh, for the no. can't wait for the call tonight. Thankfully, we do have a reserve day, so hopefully, if it's wet on Sunday, we'll be okay on Monday. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, mate. Can't wait for tonight. Great to chat to Trent Copeland. Uh, he's a fantastic guy and does a great job on Channel 7 and SEN tonight. So just a reminder, 6.30pm on SEN around the country. Jared Waitley, Lisa Stalaker and Trent Copeland for Pakistan versus New Zealand. Got a time to take a couple of your calls after the break on the Werribee Kia open line. Before we get to Brett Peake as we look back at the 2003 National Draft with 19 go- days to go to the 2022 version. Who do you want in the final? Are you a, you want the event of Pakistan, India? Do you love this Kiwi side? Maybe someone's got a soft spot for the England team. I doubt it if you're an Australian, but you might. So if you want, to, we've got some great prizes still to give away. If you want to give us a call and give us your thoughts, who do you want to win uh, these two semi-finals? You can do that on afternoons on the other side of the break. Thanks to Brick Lane Brewing, Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing and Master Builders Victoria. Want the best in industry training? Contact Master Builders Victoria. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale. Perfect for all occasions and the ultimate crowd pleaser. Drink responsibly. Master Builders Victoria. Supporting Victorian builders for over 147 years. Not a member yet. Call today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Oh, he's tried to avoid it. It's hit the bat and he's gone. And the test match has been won by one run. I can't believe it. The West Indians are delighted. Craig McDermott is so disappointed. It's been a magnificent effort by both sides here today. Courtney Walsh is absolutely delighted. The Australian dressing room will be decimated, but you can bet the West Indian dressing room will be absolutely jumping. Some nice play-by-play stuff there from uh, Greg Chappell. I remember that test match as a kid, 1993. 
Australia just couldn't beat West Indies in a test series. It looks like they were going to pull off a miracle with a last-wicket partnership. And then Craig McDermott was given out. I must admit, real time it looks like it's out. But if you look at the replay, didn't come off his gloves, didn't come off his bat. Actually flicked the uh, visor on his helmet on the way through. And Australia finished one run short. Then they went to Perth. And Kirtley Ambrose destroyed Australia in a spell. He took seven for one. They went on to win the test, win the series 2-1. And Alan Border was just, you could just see the disappointment on his face in that Adelaide Oval dressing room. He knew it was his last chance to get a series victory over the West Indies. We didn't go back there until 1995 when Mark Taylor led Australia to that series, uh, you know, a drought-breaking win against West Indies in a a series. So no doubt uh, on uh, DRS it would have been overturned, but we were still one run short. So... um, in saying that, it doesn't mean it definitively would have changed the match, but uh, certainly probably the first one I thought of this morning when we were, and uh, I heard Jared talking about uh, results that should retrospectively changed. Uh, a few coming through on the forty weeks temper about who you want to see uh, in the, the final of the World Cup. So of course tonight it is Pakistan versus New Zealand at the SCG, and then tomorrow over in Adelaide it's England versus India. Uh, I'm from New Zealand, and if they can't win it, I'd like India versus Pakistan. Uh, in the final, a rematch from that game at the MCG a couple of weeks ago. It's from Dean. Another one here. I hope it's England versus New Zealand, and I hope England win. No particular reason, though, and I'm not English. I just think they are the teams I will barrack for. So, uh, yeah, keep your suggestions uh, coming through or give us a call, one 736 736 Shortly, we're going to look back through the 2003 National Draft. We're going to speak to the, the first ever father-son selection for the Fremantle Dockers, Brett Peake, whose dad, Brian, was an absolute superstar. Played here for a few years, Captain Geelong, but uh, was an absolute star, both in the waffle and also uh, playing state footy for WA. And Brett's had an amazing journey since he finished his career uh, back in 2012, travelling and playing uh, country footy. And he's done some great things at the Albany Footy Club uh, in recent years. So he'll join us uh, just after one thirty. Another bit of footy news that came up last night was... Uh, about Connor McKenna and St Kilda looming as a potential uh, destination for the former Bomber, who's come back uh, from Ireland. Uh, played 79 games for the Bombers between 2015 and 2020. So St Kilda has loomed. He's got a connection there, I guess, uh, through Brendan Goddard, uh, who's gone back to the Saints. So Sam Edmonds still saying this morning he believes Brisbane are the favourite to secure uh, Connor McKenna. Uh, the Cats initially loomed as key players, uh, but of course this week they re-signed midfielder Sam Simpson. So that filled the last uh, list spot uh, for the Cats. So uh, Essendon was talked about. I don't think he's going back to the Bombers. Port Adelaide was another one that we're having a look. But uh, St Kilda and Brisbane uh, seem to be the uh, two clubs that might be the lowest, most likely destination for Connor McKenna. Let's get to DT uh, from Point Cook, who uh, has got a... Who's going to tell us who he wants to play in the World Cup final? G'day, DT. Hey, g'day. Um, good show. I uh, really enjoyed We understand where we are. We've been very bold. We've seen uh, our playing group. And I can tell you, their aspirations are very high. <laughs> that was Richie Vandenberg, Hawthorne Football Director, when he faced the media with uh, one of the presidential candidates, or the interim president right now, uh, in Peter Nankerville, just talking about their list strategy and, and the big cuts they've done, trading out some very good players. But after the break, we're going to go back through the 2003 National Draft. We're going to speak to Brett Peake, who was pick 43, uh, the first ever father-son for the Dockers, of course. Our very own Adam Cooney, pick one in the 2003 National Draft, as he 
constantly reminds us, the only number one pick to go on and, and win a Brownlow medal. Other significant players uh, in that draft, West Coast Premiership player Bo Waters, David Bundy, who's only just retired, was picked 19 that year. Sam Butler played in a flag uh, for the Eagles. Mark Blake played in a flag uh, for the Cats. Uh, Eamon Buchanan, a premiership player for the Swans. Heath Shaw was a father-son as well. Uh, pick 48, flag at Collingwood. All-Australian, of course, uh, at the GWS Giants. Daniel Jackson, pick 53 for the Tigers. Sam Fisher, uh, pick 55 uh, for St Kilda. So some probably not the deepest draft that year and, and probably the top 10, not the strongest uh, in hindsight. But certainly Brett Peake had a great career at the Dockers, went to the Saints, Played in the 2010 Grand Final and Grand Final uh, replay. We're going to speak to him after the break here on Afternoons. All brought to you, of course, by Brick Lane Brewing. Brick Lane, one love pale ale brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. And Master Builders Victoria, get expert legal support. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. Brick Lane, one love pale ale. Perfect for all occasions and the ultimate crowd pleaser. Drink responsibly. Master Builders Victoria. Supporting Victorian builders for over 147 years. Not a member yet? Call today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. I'm still going to be able to kick them in and wide to peak. It could go short to a number of players. And he decides gamble. It wasn't far enough. People have to have a shot after all. This time on the run. It's not bad. That is just the spark the Saints need. Never seen our producer, Lincoln Allen, so excited by a guest. He's teed up Brett Peake, and I'm really looking forward to this chat. So the first father-son selection in the history of the Fremantle Football Club. His dad, Brian Peake, absolute WA football royalty. Uh, Brett went on to play uh, 75 games, kicked 42 goals for the Dockers between 2005 and 2009. Crossed to the Saints, perfect timing. Uh, 2010 played in the two grand finals, 43 games, 20 goals for the Saints before departing at the end of 2012. And he's had a a remarkable journey uh, post-footy, and Brett's been good enough to join us this afternoon. Afternoon, Brett. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Uh, Can you give us a little snapshot of what you've done post your life at St Kilda, both in life and in footy? And and the latest chapter at Albany is, is, is fascinating. Yeah, it's one of those things that, um, I always got told at a young age, they, they always said, you know, keep on playing footy footy until you can because when it's over, it's over. And I sort of, you know, as you're growing up and you play through the ranks, you, you sort of just keep on playing. And I was only talking to someone the other day and I said, Jesus, I'm, I'm 40 next year and I'm still running around. I still body's still in good nick. I'm still enjoying it. Um, and then I looked back and I was like, I've been out of the AFL system for sort of over, over a decade. But it only feels like yesterday that I, you know, played my last game. So it is it is bizarre, um, but at the end of the day, thoroughly still enjoying it. So how did you get to Albany? So you're up in the Pilbara, and then you've made the big move with the family to go and, well, help out Albany, who had hardly won a game in seven or eight years. How did the move come about? I was in, I was in between jobs, and uh, I was up in the Pilbara region, and I was doing some... Uh, some mustering so for anyone that doesn't know just mustering some cattle on a station sort of four hours inland uh, something that I've got no degree or, or sort of knowledge about it was through a close friend of mine and I'll tell you what being out in the bush for four weeks uh, mustering up cattle was, was certainly something that I'll never forget and I would uh, certainly do it again but we ended up having sort of like a, a little bit of a, a silly Saturday so we all went into a, a place called Coral Bay and we all uh, had a few beers and had a feed. And I ran into a, a, 
a bloke by the name of Matty Ozell, who I used to play waffle against back in the day. And he goes, oh, are you having a kick next year? And I was like, to be honest, I hadn't even thought about it. And he goes, oh, if you don't mind, I'll flick you your number to someone down in Albany. And I'm like, Albany? I said, I live in Perth. I said, that's a long trek to go game of footy. Anyway, long story short, I get this phone call. They said, uh, you might be interested. Do you want to come down and play for the Sharks? And I did sort of my research, found that they, found out they won two games in uh, sort of 12 years and spoke <laughs> to the old man. I said, oh, this doesn't sound too good, does it? And he goes, you know what, why not? Go down there and help them out if you can. And I've always been told, you know, post footy, if you can go and give a little bit back to the next generation, whether it be uh, at sort of second tier waffle leather, le- level or it be down in or out in the country. So I sort of had a good job in Perth and we we're going to travel down every weekend and play. But you know what? You only live once. So I, uh, I resigned from my job, jumped in the car and we had no idea how it was going to play out. But two years later, we're still down here and absolutely love this part of the world. It's paradise. Um, very fortunate enough where we live and uh, yeah, help the, helping the Sharks to win a few games and hopefully, you know, fell short this year in the grand final. And hopefully we can go one step better in 2023. And you kicked 13 in a game. Yeah, lucky. Obviously oh, had some good delivery from rubbish. the midfield. But, um, yeah, I thought I could turn turn back the clock and uh, was lucky enough to kick a bag, which, let's be honest, when, you, when you're young and you're playing footy, you love kicking goals. You know, my idol was Gary Ablett Senior. Um, so to be able to re- rewind the clock back, you know, 39 this year uh, and kick a bag, that was enjoyable. But at the end of the day, it's obviously about the, the wins for the Albany Sharks, and we got that. Did you uh, arrive in a helicopter like your dad did at Geelong back in 1981? Did they get you the <laughs> helicopter in as the, as the star recruit for the club? Uh, the, amount of, the amount of times that I get that one. Jeez, I, I wish, I, I wish. The only time I've been in a helicopter was... Uh, was for work, but nah, it was a uh, good old drive in. Hardly anyone knew who I was, which was absolutely fine with me. And um, yeah, I get to obviously still apply my craft at a, at a lower level, but uh, what is still a really good comp. And was the plan, we're speaking to Brett Peake, former Fremantle Docker and Saint, was the plan for you and the family to travel around the country before COVID hit? Yeah, we were. We purchased a caravan and we we're going to. Uh, a lot of people are, are traveling as families um, currently and through that COVID uh, period. I was actually on my way up to Darwin uh, to play last year for St. Mary's through Raf Clark. But by the time I was going up there, they had shut the border and I couldn't get in. So I'm a, I'm a believer of, you know, things are meant to be. So I couldn't get into the border, which meant I couldn't play for. St. Mary's, and they went on to win the flag last year, which was uh, which was good. And sort of we sold the caravan because we weren't travelling, and um, yeah, we're living on a little bit of a property, sort of in a place called Many Peaks, and it's not named after us, but uh, <laughs> I'd never ever heard of it before. We sort of rolled in and, and seen the sign, and was like, "How bizarre is that? Maybe it's meant to be." So. It's a beautiful part of the world, very fortunate where we live. And um, once again, yeah, obviously still committed to go around next year in my 40th year of around the globe and, and pull on the boots again and hopefully go that one step better. Looking at a photo of you, you're still looking super fit. But what does stand out? You played a lot of the latter part of your career with the shaved head, but real silver fox these days. Is that, is that, the, the, stress yeah. of, is that the stress of country footy? <laughs> it's the stress of getting tagged by a 17, 18-year-old every week. Um, that was one of those things. I, I, 
I hate hair, so I used to shave my head and shave the legs and all that. And um, I just, once, once again, I just embraced the silver fox look. And um, the old man went grey sort of relatively early. He's pretty much snow white at the moment. Um, and, yeah, just embraced it. Uh, copped a little bit of criticism from the, uh, from the sidelines. But, you know, I enjoy that. It gives, gives the ammunition for uh, supporters and the opposition. But if I can still be doing what I'm doing at this age... Um, that's all I need to be uh, need to be saying. Your dad Brian was, you know, as we said, WA footy royalty over four hundred games, a stint in the in the VFL with Geelong, a star in state footy for WA. What what was it like growing up with such a famous footballing father? Obviously, I I knew from a young age, and I still remember sort of you know I was born in eighty three, so sort of the eighty seven eighty eight um, coming into his last sort of four years of waffle. I still remember those games vividly, running around quarter time, half time, three quarter time after the game at, um, at Shark Park, uh, Eastern Randall's home ground. And it sort of wasn't until I was sort of older that I realised, I suppose, the impact that he had uh, on the football field. But he taught me from a young age that I was going to cop criticism for being the son of Brian. Um, you know, so there was pressure, certainly not from him, certainly not from the inner sanctum of the family, but externally, you know, and, and at the end of the day, it sits well with me that I never reached the pinnacle of what he was able to achieve. But at the end of the day, you know, any father-son who has a, a father that was very successful, not necessarily in ASL, but any, any sort of business or sport, they do have an element of pressure. Mm. But, yeah, Dad from a young age got me prepared for it, and told me everything that was going to come my way, which it was water off a duck's back, um, you know, when any sort of, negativity came my way about being the son of Brian. So you had a great year with Fremantle in 2006, 10 Brownlow votes that year. You played the 20 games. The team had a fantastic second half of the year all the way through to a prelim final, yet you didn't play your whole career at Fremantle and were gone at the end of the 2009 season. In hindsight, what do you have loved to have been a, a one-club player given that the Fremantle was, was just in your blood? Um, looking back on it, and it's a great question. Um, no, I suppose you, back then in that era as well, you know, you see a lot of, um, especially the well-established players that go on to play sort of that 200, 250, 300. They do talk about later in their career at that sort of 28, you know, where it comes contract time, you know, how long they're going to play for. They do want to be a one-club player. For me, I think I just needed to get out of what was the comfort zone, um, and test myself if, if another club was going to give me an opportunity, which was St Kilda, um, to see if I still had the fire in it and if I was still good enough. Um, so in hindsight, it nearly worked out. I was nearly a premiership player, but at the end of the day, no, um, I'm not. But I, I, if I had it again, I, yeah, I, would, I loved my time at St Kilda in Melbourne. Um, if I knew what I knew now, I would have loved to go over and, if the father-son was 100 games, or sorry, 50 games back then for Dad to go Geelong, father-son to Geelong, I would have yep. loved to go on Geelong. You know, I supported him as a kid. Um, he didn't play enough games. And, you know, you can't have it your way. I was lucky enough to get father-son to Fremantle, let alone get drafted full stop. So just before I let you go, I'd love to I could talk to you all day. It's a great story. Uh, 2010, how, how much do you still think about how close that was uh, in 2010? And I, I think I read the other day you were – High in praise for Ross Lyon as a coach, so I'm sure you think it's definitely the right decision that he's back uh, coaching the Saints. Oh, 100%. Uh, I got the biggest praise for Ross um, as a person, but also as a footy personality, as a coach. Um, is it the right choice? Yeah, it is. I, I still doesn't sit with me that 
the board make a decision in July and then um, offer Ratten an extension and then get rid of him. So that mm. part doesn't sit well. But in, in the realms of what coaches were available, unfinished business for Ross, um, I, I think, yes, looking back on it, they will make the finals next year and they could do something even even more special. Um, so, yeah, I do have high praise. And I know he's got a lot of, um, you know, mockers in the football industry and, and from a supporter-based point of view. But at the end of the day, he's taken two clubs to four grand finals in a uh, sort of five, six-year period. So he's doing something right. Just the playing group's just not finishing it. And going back to 2010, yeah, I do think about it. Um, September comes... It is a tough time, but at the end of the day, life full stops tough. So it's one of those floating things that come in. I could have, would have, should have been a premiership player, but I'm not. Um, grand final day is always hard, but then hopefully I get reward, you know, in other ways, you know, play, still playing footy and hopefully still chasing that elusive, um, you know, grand final medal. So, yeah, it is one of those things. Um, just go with it. Brett, well, you sound like you're still loving life at uh, 39 years uh, young. Thanks for catching up today. It was a fantastic AFL career, and what you've done uh, post-footy has been uh, fascinating as well. Good luck chasing that flag next year at uh, Albany. Muchly appreciated. Thanks for having me. Great to chat to Brett Peak. Uh, pick 43 in the 2003 National Draft. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing. Drink responsibly help getting your builder's registration call master builders victoria today to discuss our member support program dwayne's world with dwayne russell welcome back to the show big last hour coming up julian de stoop sitting in for dwayne russell we're going to get to rebecca miller a richmond aflw star in a sec but really enjoy that interview before uh two o'clock with brett peak as we went back to the 2003 national draft and uh seems like uh the audience has as well got some great uh 40 wings tempers i'll just read a a couple seems like a ripping bloke. Go the Sharks for 2023. As an old East Fremantle supporter, I always kept an eye on Peak. He was a good player. He had I had no idea he was down here, meaning in Albany. No one of the Sharks played in the grand final last year from nowhere. Go Tigers. Another one here. Uh, met Brett in the surf in Fiji 10 or 11 years ago. He was contemplating life after AFL. Had a chat in the water, and one thing I remember him saying is that being in the AFL system for a decade – Opens doors and opportunities for you. Hopefully you take the right one. Regardless of how it all worked out, it sounds like he's enjoyed his life. Good to hear him talk. So thanks for your feedback. As I said, really enjoyed that chat with Brett Peake. Finals footy this weekend at Punt Road. It's the Tigers and the Kangaroos. And uh, Rebecca Miller, she's been a mainstay for the Tigers since they came into the competition. She's been good enough to join us this afternoon. Hello, Rebecca. Yeah, Julian, happy hump day. Thank you very much. Yes, happy hump day. And uh, as we count down uh, to the AFLW finals uh, on the weekend, geez, a lot of talk about where this game's being played. Uh, much talk in the dressing room amongst the girls or it's unanimous, you're pretty happy to be playing at home. <laughs> you're not wrong. There has been a lot of talk, but um, the way I like to reframe that is at least there's lots of chat about our game. So, um, yeah, we love the hype around it and, um, yeah, we're pretty happy to be playing at Punt Road Oval. Um, a little bit sad that, you know, some members and fans as well as family and friends missed out on tickets. But um, it is our home ground and, you know, we made the top four in a finals game and um, it is our spiritual home. So we're pretty excited to, to run out to a packed Punt Road Oval. It will be pumping come Saturday Arvo. Did you just fully expect it was, it was a no-brainer? You would play this game at Punt Road or did you think they might play it at a different venue, whether it's Icon Park, Victoria Park, a, a venue that would get a few more fans in? Uh, yeah, 
I, I presume it would be Punt Road Oval. And, um, yeah, I guess when the headlines started popping up Sunday Arvo, Monday Monday morning, I sort of didn't think about it until then. But, um, yeah, obviously the AFL and Richmond have worked together and deemed Punt Road Oval the venue to play this match. What did you learn out of the first taste of finals footy for the team last week? You certainly you weren't disgraced. You played a fantastic team in Brisbane. What was the main, as a team, uh, sort of learning uh, points you took out of the game? Yeah, there are quality out a bit busy lines. Um, we took out a few learnings. I think uh, second and third quarter they um, were quite relentless, and so we probably became a bit um, reactive rather than proactive. So um, yeah, it was sort of our first and fourth quarters are really encouraging, and, and we'll try and take that last quarter into this week's match. It seems like one of the criticisms of this Richmond AFLW side is your plan A is really good, but sometimes you don't have a plan B. Is that criticism a little bit unfair? I think if we reflect on uh, the Brizzy Lions game, like you've got to give credit where credit is due, and they were pretty good um, in those second and third quarters. And um, yeah, they sort of there's always going to be an arm wrestle in any footy match, but um, they got on top for a long period of time, and um, we sort of wrestled back in that last quarter. But um, we sort of we can see when we play our way, it stacks up against the best in the competition, so we'll keep backing it in. We don't have to go back far to remember your last game against North Melbourne, that thrilling draw <laughs> in the final uh, home and away game of the season. I'm assuming because it works so well, uh, tagging Jasmine Garner will be uh, high on the priority list again? Yeah, it's a little bit of deja vu. What um, Two weeks ago we played them, so um, we're just looking for one extra point to get that win. Um, but yeah, Meg Mack did a phenomenal job on that day and I'd say she gets the same role, but uh, that will be decided at uh, match committee tonight with the coaches. You play alongside one of the superstars in the competition, in Mon Conti, who's, you know, when the W Awards yeah. are on in a couple of weeks' time, she's she's right up there as, as a chance to win it. What makes Mon such a good player in your eyes? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's enough um, descriptive words to describe just how good she is. Um, you know, she's a freak on the field, but also a freak on the training track. So, uh, I think just her agility and speed. Um, honestly, sometimes when I'm when I'm playing with her, I swear she's playing a different games to the rest of us because, you know, the amount of time and space she has compared to every other player on that field is just second to none. So, yeah, I'd probably I'd say that's what separates her from the rest of us. And Ali McKenzie's heading in a in a similar direction. She was fantastic a couple of weeks ago when you had that draw against North Melbourne. Um, how good can Ali be? Do you think? Ah, uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's bloody scary to think how good she'll be, but I'm definitely grateful she's on my team. Um, but I think uh, she obviously had a big injury early this year with her calf, so uh, credit to her for getting back to some great form and you know um, being announced in all Oz squad as well. So I think uh, yeah, the best is yet to come, fairly McKenzie. Your journey to AFLW was was certainly an interesting one. Tell us about your time with the Western Wolves. <laughs> yes, the Western Wolves 2018, back up at AFL Sydney. Um, I, it's fair to say we weren't the most successful team on the park, but uh, I definitely um, got my love of footy from that club. So uh, they were a great bunch of girls I played with and um, they're a huge part of my story and I, I credit them greatly for where I am today. What, what age did you take up the game? Um... I played a season of under 12, but, you know, back in my day, as they say, um, <laughs> I didn't, after under 12, you couldn't play with the boys anymore. So, 
um, sort of from about, I guess, 12 to 18 in that high school period. I literally played um, once a year at a high school girls' gala day and, and loved it. It was probably my favourite day of the year, really. Um, but then I got back to it in, in 2018 for the Western Wolves and, um, yeah, I guess a, a lot of hard work and a bit of luck has led me to where I am now. We've seen in the in the competition, we're speaking to Rebecca Miller from AFLW, the Tigers side ahead of their big semi-final against North Melbourne this week. In the competition, the sort of Melbourne and Brisbane have been the standout teams this year. What what gives you the confidence that if you get through and, and make a prelim and, and hopefully further that you you can turn the tables on, on these two teams that have been sensational all season? Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, they're top two for a reason. Um, they're, they're quality outfits and they've, they've been um, the benchmark for a number of seasons. Um, in saying that, I, I think all the pressure's on them, essentially. So, um, you know, at Tigerland, we're saying why not us? So, yeah, there's a genuine belief, you know, we've, we've built a great group and, and got some really good momentum throughout the season. So, um, and as I said earlier, our, our way does stack up against the best team. So, you know, why not us? Absolutely. Have you season, seen the season overall from a competition point of view? Obviously very exciting to have all 18 teams in the competition. We've seen, you know, yourselves have jumped into the top four. Geelong have come from one win, won the seven games, and were, you know, unlucky not to win a final Last year, you know, probably Essendon and Hawthorne were the standout of the two new teams. How have you seen the first season and how it's worked with 18 clubs in it for the first time? Yeah, it's it's so bloody exciting that it's a full competition now. Like, um, yeah, to have it whole is, is, is super cool. And um, I know at Richmond, we're all happy to have 18 teams in, in the whole comp. So absolutely stoked with that. And, um, you know, we've seen the expansion sides, you know, the finished towards the end of the end of the ladder but um we were there four years ago and unfortunately time just takes time Julian you know you gotta you gotta um uh get a core group and, and develop that connection and put in the hard yards over a few pre-seasons and then and then the success comes and that's why I think we've done so well as you know quite a few of our girls now are playing their third or fourth season at this level and it makes such a huge difference so um yeah it's bloody cool that we have 18 18 clubs and just to think where this competition will be in five to ten years' time is, is mind-blowing. Just finally, before we let you go, as we said off the top, the games at Punt Road, about 2,800 will get in. Uh, we all know that uh, friends and family like yep. tickets to finals. How, is that Has that been an issue for you this week? <laughs> uh, Julian, it's probably a positive that uh, I wasn't born and bred in Melbourne. Um, so I'm sort of, I've, got, I've got enough tickets that I need, but... You know, the entourages of the Hoskins or Millsy yes, they're struggling for tickets. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a positive from uh, being out of Melbourne that I don't have the stress that those girls do this week. That is probably a relief. That'll be a great atmosphere there at Punt Road on Saturday. It's the Tigers in North Melbourne. A spot in the prelim final uh, is up for grabs. Uh, good luck, Rebecca, and thanks so much for taking some time out this afternoon. Thanks, Julian, and go the Tigers. We're super pumped. Uh, she's excited, and so she should be, Rebecca Miller. The Tigers looking for their first ever AFLW Finals win. As we said, weren't disgraced against uh, arguably the best in the business, Brisbane, last week, and they play North Melbourne, who they drew against two weeks ago at Punt Road on Saturday. Uh, time for a quick top sport update. Home of the sports betting multi-gamble responsibly call 1-800-858-858. No Tristan Merlihan today. He's given us the, uh, he's given us the lemon. Not sure why, but uh, obviously we've got the T20 uh, World Cup uh, semi-finals. So tonight, 
Uh, it is New Zealand and Pakistan, of course. A dollar seventy-eight. The Kiwis two oh eight. Pakistan. Then tomorrow, uh, it is India v England over in Adelaide. India the favourites in that one. A dollar seventy-eight. Two oh four. England. Now, if you're having a bet. On the World Cup, uh, Brazil are the favourites at the moment at $5 ahead of Argentina. six fifty. France, who, of course, the Socceroos play uh, in their opening game, a seven twenty five. And then you've got England and Spain at $9.50. The other team's under $10. $11 for the Germans, who are always strong in World Cups. And if you want to have a bet on the Socceroos, you have to go way down the list. 701 to 1 uh, alongside Iran, only Costa Rica, Saudi Arabia and Tunisia are below us in the betting. So let's hope we can prove that wrong and have a good World Cup. But now after the break here on Afternoons, we're going to go through moments 17 to 22 as we count down the top 22 moments uh, in AFL football since 2000. So if, you, if you're just joining us and you haven't been aware of this concept uh, this week, it's not great games, it's not big stories it is just moments that stand out from uh, 2000 onwards. So we'll go through 17 through 22 after the break. Just a reminder to show your support for McHappy Day by purchasing a pair of silly socks from Maccas for only $5. Money raised will go towards Ronald McDonald House Charities as they continue to help seriously ill or injured children and their families. This is Afternoons. Uh, we'll be back with that countdown after the break. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale. Perfect for all occasions and the ultimate crowd pleaser. Drink responsibly. Master Builders Victoria. Supporting Victorian builders for over 147 years. Not a member yet. All today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Long music intro, uh, A-Rod. Magnificent stuff. Now, we're starting to... I'm tonguing. <laughs> I am tonguing. Just talking to the boys out the back. Uh, Andy Maher and Andrew Gaze getting ready. Big show. Jeff Fennick, Kevin Musket, even Gazy. It's got the quiz up into the first hour of the show. So make sure you're listening uh, from 3 to 6. And, of course, tonight, 6.30, it's live. It's the first semi-final uh, in the T20 World Cup between Pakistan and New Zealand at the SCG. Jared Waitley, Lisa Stalaker and Trent Copeland, who we spoke with earlier in the show. Okay, let's start our countdown. We're doing the 22 best 22 moments in the AFL uh, since 2000. So let's start with number 22. So we've got audio for all these just to jog your memory. Let's start with uh, number 22, a pretty famous night up in Cairns in 2012. Ten seconds to go. Matera. Matera. Hooks it back. Come on, Rob. It comes to Carmichael. Oh, no. Two oh. seconds to go in the game. Oh. The man everybody talked about when he came across from the NRL. Is he the hero that the Suns believe he is? He definitely is. Oh. What, a st- <laughs> what a story. <laughs> So Carmichael Hunt kicking the winning goal against Richmond. Now, the Tigers were, they needed two goals in 47 seconds to win that game, the Gold Coast. Paul Ruse famously said on the couch that Monday night, it was the worst 47 seconds of football he's ever seen. But undoubtedly, it was the highlight of Carmichael Hunt's AFL journey. And it's a moment we'll always remember. This NRL star converted to the AFL 
and he did manage to kick the winning goal in one game. And uh, they had some shockers up there in Cairns back then, uh, the Tigers. So I think they're more than happy. They're not playing up there at the moment. Uh, we're going to stay in Queensland for this next moment. It was round 12, 2003. Guess who? Could he do it again? Yeah. Could, he? Could he do it again? Five and a half, I think so. I think oh. so. Oh, this kid is just... What do we say? He is exceptional. A lot of giggling from Dermot in the commentary in uh, both of these moments so far. So we mentioned this one on Monday. That was Chris Judd kicking five goals in a half in his 34th game. Put into context the opponent, the Brisbane Lions had won back-to-back premierships. They had a stacked midfield at the time of Voss, Ackermanis, Power, Black, Lappin, Brad Scott. And it, we all knew Chris Judd was going to be good, and we'd seen it in 2002 in the, in the first half of 2003. But I think that was the day that everyone went, wow. We've actually got a special player on our hands. And we all know the career he went on to have 2004 Brownlow medal, premiership captain, Norm Smith medalist. Went to Carlton, won another Brownlow, best and fairest and uh, an absolute superstar of the competition. But that was the day uh, we all knew that Chris Judd was going to be an absolute superstar. Let's go right back to the start of the century. The Bombers won the flag in 2000, all conquering they looked on their way to winning every game that year. But then in round 21, they came up against the Western Bulldogs and Terry Wallace threw the magnets around, the super flood game, and it all came down to one kick. This is the sort of goal that the champ might kick here. 36th position. Over left foot. He kicked the goal to bring him back into the game. Got it's it. a Got great it. kick. He's kicked it. A magnificent effort. They've done it. They've won it. That gets them in the finals. The doggies are in the finals, and the great run has come to an end. Dermot again. His special commentary in all these moments uh, is Dermot. Yeah, an amazing night. It was revolutionary tactics. We'd never seen it before. The flood, so many players back behind the ball. I think what a lot of people forget about that game, yes, the Bulldogs won in the end. It was a great goal from Chris Grant from the boundary, but as effective as the tactics were, Essendon were 21 points in front in the last quarter, and the Bulldogs just... Uh, ran over the top of them. Famous game, big melee at halftime involving uh, Johnny Barnes and uh, Brad Johnson. And Brad Johnson gave the two-finger salute to the Bombers uh, after the game. But uh, the Bombers went on uh, to make sure uh, they won the premiership. They didn't lose another game. The Dogs went out in the first uh, week of the finals. But uh, certainly a memorable game and a memorable moment, that one. Let's stick with Eston and the Bulldogs. Uh, just under 12 months later at the same venue, I've got a feeling Durban might be in commentary here again. This happened in the goal square to the, uh, well, the left of screen if you're watching on telly. Lucas read a best, wrong side for him, hooks a ball! Yeah, Bruce at his finest. So uh, what a night he had that night. <laughs> Gary Moorcroft. He kicked six goals in the first half. He was actually playing, I don't know why Brad Johnson was in the back, back pocket uh, at that stage, but he was. He was playing on Gary Moorcroft. That was his sixth goal uh, for the half and actually hurt his hip on the way down, taking that mark. And probably, to be honest, was never the same player again, but it is one of the more famous and spectacular marks uh, we've seen. Not surprisingly, won the 2001 uh, mark of the year. So that moment comes in at number 19. Number 18, just a bit of 
few fisticuffs that sparked a couple of rivalries. It is on everywhere out here, boys. Spot fires all over the place. And there it is, Pachoni, all McFall, oh, and Vandenberg letting lefts and rights go oh, over the feet. can't do that. Game, the tempers are flying, so the players are very, very aggressive. Oh. Dale Kickett has oh. just thrown a couple. Look at this, Dennis. This is not good. It's the voice of Chris Main wearing uh, in commentary there, and uh, our own Andy Mars, you heard at the start, uh, one of his more... Famous commentary moments. That's what made him the best boundary lighter in, in the business, just getting involved at the right time. So we spoke about this one a little bit the other day, but why it's significant is the Essendon-Hawthorne rivalry. was It was dormant, really, uh, from the 1980s until that moment, to be honest. Hawthorne had sort of struggled throughout the 90s. Essendon would beat them on would beat them regularly, but that really sparked at Hawthorne making a stand. They ended up losing that game comfortably, and they lost the next one against Essendon, but then they turned it around, and, and the Bombers really couldn't beat the Hawks for quite some time. We've seen, in the words of Andy Mar, spot fires since with Matthew Lloyd and Brad Sewell uh, in 2009, and that rivalry is once again uh, red hot. And, of course, the second bit of audio there was the Demolition Derby in 2000. That rivalry was, yeah, it was a rivalry, but it was one-sided. West Coast were always beating Fremantle. They'd only won one derby in 1999, previous to that game in 2000. The Dockers made a stand that day. Certainly some players went over the top. Dale Kickett, obviously the the main instigator, getting nine weeks suspension. But they won the game. And uh, ever since then, it's been a a far more even contest in derbies. And of recent times, uh, Fremantle have certainly had a very good record uh, in the derby. Uh, And as we round out uh, today's uh, countdown, uh, number 17 Involves a coach and letting off some steam, it's fair to say, after winning a flag in 2004. Outpouring of emotion from Mark Williams. He's the proudest man in the land tonight. Look at that. And Choco. Have a look at him. Choco's no more, he says. And Alan Scott, you're wrong. <laughs> the great Mark Williams. So first ever premiership for two uh, for Port Adelaide. They're only one and only premiership so far uh, in the AFL. It was under so much pressure going into 2004. So 2002, qualify in the top four, out, straight sets. Lost to Collingwood at home in a massive shock. Uh, no Nathan Buckley that night for the Collingwood. And no one gave them a chance. They won. The next week they played Hawthorne. Raging hot favourites. And then Johnny Barker left to right from the pocket. The Hawks got through. Following year again, 2003, top four, home final. Lost the qualifying final to Sydney. Uh, beat Essendon the next week. Thrashed in the prelim final against uh, Collingwood. So that was 2001, sorry, the first one. Then 2002, two, four, three years in a row, finished top four, didn't make a grand final. Alan Scott went on to say at the end of 2003, Port Adelaide are not winning a flag while Mark Williams is the coach of this footy club. 12 months later, he did it and just reminded Alan Scott on the dice that uh, maybe he got that call wrong. So any thoughts on that countdown so far? Any others you want to throw into the mix? We've got a few uh, off the temper text. You can give us a call on the Werribee Kia open line as well. Anything you want to talk about, uh, awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. So on Monday, we'll do moments uh, 11 through 16. But let's get the latest now from the newsroom with April Austin. Uh, he's 
like a box of chocolates out, Rod, when he gets his hand on the uh, the beat box. You never know what you're going to get with Rod. Uh, really interesting mix uh, so far today, but doing a great job, as always, as his link uh, out the back. Who organised Brett Peak? I thought that was just him wearing his Fremantle duffel coat, but he must have known that he was good talent. So he's done a great job there, uh, Link. I'm just going to read through uh, some 40 Winks uh, tempers. A whole range of uh, subjects have been uh, mentioned. Uh, just we went talking about, we spoke to Rebecca Miller before from the Tigers AFLW side. There's obviously been a lot of controversy this week about the game being played at Punt Road. Uh, a couple of uh, temper texts here on the 40 Winks temper. Watch North Melbourne gain a top four AFLW spot next season and have zero say in the venue for finals. Undoubtedly, some clubs have a louder voice than others, says John and Baronia. I don't know about that. I think if North Melbourne hurt, earn a home game, they can get more in Arden, at Arden Street than they can at Punt Road. So I'm sure I'd be very surprised if North got a home final if they weren't allowed to play it at Arden Street. Um, another one here. You should have asked Rebecca how North fans can get to watch it live. What a joke, says Paul. Yeah, well, I think there's, unfortunately, there's Richmond and North Melbourne supporters uh, that miss out. Um, just a bit of feedback on those moments, 22, uh, 17 to 22 that we played. Uh, the Gold Coast Cairns game was funny until we won three premierships in five years, uh, says a Tigers supporter. This interesting one. Might make the cut, might not, but it was a unique story, I guess we could say. Siren Gate between St Kilda and Fremantle was a big story at the time. It was a massive story uh, at the time, actually. 2005, Siren wasn't heard. St Kilda went on to kick a point. Uh, The game uh, then was a tie. In the end, Fremantle were awarded the four points uh, a few weeks later. And, And the other, that was just amazing two games between St Kilda and Fremantle. That year, because when they played the return game in Perth, it's when the current coach, Justin Longmuir, kicked the goal after the siren for them to win. But that came in the week that Grant Thomas absolutely, in the words of Andrew Gaze, eviscerated the umpires. He got a $20,000 fine, and that was when the famous Whispers in the Sky story emerged after that game when Tony Jones overheard... Uh, some umpires speaking and reported the story, which was it was a massive story uh, at the time. And uh, it's interesting because when Jared this morning spoke about um, sporting results that could be reversed, there was another one involving a siren that you probably definitively could go back and do. That was the 1980, uh, it was the Escort Cup final, so the night premiership back then when North Melbourne kicked the goal about two minutes after the siren went. Unfortunately, none of the umpires heard it and Collingwood were robbed of a, a night premiership. So... It, that that uh, that was a big story at the time. I remember Chris Connolly out on the ground talking to the umpires. No one really knew uh, what was going on. So, uh, yeah, keep them coming through. Uh, there's plenty more uh, coming through. Another one here. A moment I'll never forget was when Jordan Lewis got knocked out running back with the flight. Yeah, Jared Harbrow was at uh, Marble Stadium in 2010. A huge hit. One of those ones you just saw coming. The ball went over Jordan's head. He had to run back with the flight and... Um, Jared Harbrow didn't stop and knocked him out. And the thing is, it never happened these days. Actually came back on the ground, Jordan Lewis that day. And I know he's spoken about it since. He said it was he shouldn't have done it. He wasn't right to come back on the ground. But it was different, even though it was only 12 years ago. So uh, we'll keep reading through your 40 Wings tempers. Just a reminder, run home this afternoon with Gazy and Andy Mark. Kevin Musket, who has just managed Yokohama F. Marinos, uh, to the title in Japan in the J-League following the footsteps of Ange Postacoglu. So what is next for Kevin Musket? We saw Ange Postacoglu get the move, the dream move, to Celtic. 
And I wonder what Kevin Muscat's aspirations are. Does he have a desire to coach in England, for example? He's done a great job over there since uh, leaving uh, Melbourne victory. Also, Jeff Finnick will talk to the boys about finally being awarded that fourth world title after being robbed against Azuma Nelson way back in 1990. Remember the the, uh, the rematch at Princess Park was so highly anticipated. Unfortunately, Jeff didn't fight as well as he did the first time and was uh, well beaten by Azuma Nelson. So he will join the boys as well on the run home. Let's get to another break here on Afternoons. We're brought to you by Brick Lane Brewing. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the award-winning team at Brick Lane Brewing and Master Builders Victoria. Get expert OHS support. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale. Perfect for all occasions and the ultimate crowd pleaser. Drink responsibly. Master Builders Victoria. Supporting Victorian builders for over 147 years. Not a member yet. Call today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Boys on the run home, not too far away. Andy Marr and Andrew Gase. Massive show coming up. Kevin Musket uh, just crowned A-League champions with Yokohama F. Marinos and Jeff Fennick, who's been a big topic of the day, finally being deservingly rewarded his fourth world title after being absolutely robbed against Azuma Nelson way back in 1990. Just don't forget, please show your support for Big Happy Day by purchasing a pair of silly socks from Maccas for only five bucks. Money raised will go towards Ronald McDonald House charities as they continue to help seriously ill or injured children and their families. It's a wonderful cause, uh, so make sure you contribute. Uh, just five bucks for a pair of silly socks for Mick. Happy day. Plenty more coming in on the 40 Wings uh, temper text. Uh, a few about our, well, a couple of different countdowns. We'll start with our countdown uh, of the best moments uh, in AFL footy since 2000. So we did 17 to 22 today. Uh, we'll work our way through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. Uh, to get with number one, uh, one here from Brennan. What about Nick Rewalt's mark going back with the flight of the ball? I think it was against Sydney, that's right, up at the SCG. In 2004, he was completely horizontal, says Brennan. Well, Brennan, just chill. It might be in the top 16. It might not be. But it's certainly one that is seriously under consideration. One of the most amazing marks we have ever seen. One of the most courageous uh, marks we've ever seen. Now, Jonathan Brown did a very similar one against Hawthorne as well. But that mark from Nick Revolt was absolutely unbelievable. Another one here just talking about the AFLW uh, venue issue. Uh, where are Melbourne going to play the AFLW prelim final? Well, we'll be at Icon Park. Uh, there is some works being done out at Casey. So they didn't play their final at Casey last week against the Crows. They played that at Icon Park. They will do that again. That also allows for uh, some more fans to get in. But there is some work uh, going on out at Casey Fields at the moment, uh, the home ground normally of the Melbourne AFLW team. Um, now, Rod's music has hit a chord with a few people out there. Uh, so can we have A-Rod's top 40 countdown? Says one, it'd be an interesting mix. It'd be a bit, bit of everything uh, there. And Timmy from Rabin says, more WWE. What's that? What's WWE? I'll say that scripted wrestling stuff. Music, please. Start, please, with Randy Orton. I have voices in my head. They count to me. They understand. They talk to me. You got tools in your religion. All designed to keep you safe. But when rules start getting... Oh, he's very happy with his work out of that. Very, very happy. Now, Timmy, 
He's that happy and he's that powerful around this building. So you got to give Tim a price. So we're going to give Tim a couple of prizes. We're going to give him a Signet Boost power bank. Uh, we'll charge your phone, your tablet, your iPod. 24 hours a day. Concentrate, Rod. You're too busy celebrating getting a bit of love off the uh, 40 Wings temper. And also a $50 Brick Lane Brewing voucher. Still got a family pass to the Women's Big Bash Festival to give away. If you want to give us a call, one 736 736 Interesting uh, 40 Wings temper here. I wasn't aware of this, but uh, if it's true, I'm assuming it is, uh, Gary Ablett Jr. will be playing for the Palmerston Magpies in the NTFL Next Friday, a team that also has Eddie Betts, Travis Varco, and Neville Jetta playing for them. This will be a game to tune into. Absolutely it will be. I know Eddie Betts has played uh, up in the NTFL before, but what an exciting uh, quadrant of players there. Betts, Ablett Jr., Varco, and Neville Jetta all playing in the same side. That will be uh, worth uh, watching. So thank you so much uh, for that 40 Wings temper text uh, for sending that one through. Let's get our final break away on afternoons. Uh, Andy Ma, Andrew Gay is not too far away. Just a reminder too, uh, SEN is the home of the T20 World Cup. It is on tonight live, 6.30 on SEN across the country. Uh, Jared Waitley, Lisa Delaker and Trent Copeland, uh, who we spoke to uh, earlier in the show uh, we'll be calling that one. It's New Zealand and Pakistan tonight at the SCG. Tomorrow night, it is England and India at the Adelaide Oval. Of course, the final is at the MCG on Sunday. Weather permitting, if it's no good, we'll play it on Monday uh, at the MCG. But you're listening to Afternoons with great thanks to Brick Lane Brewing, Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale, brewed by the awarding team at Brick Lane Brewing. And Master Builders Victoria want the best in industry training. Contact Master Builders Victoria. Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale. Perfect for all occasions and the ultimate crowd pleaser. Drink responsibly. Master Builders Victoria. Supporting Victorian builders for over 147 years. Not a member yet. Call today. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Uh, it's been a big show. Thank you so much uh, for your company. We've covered a lot of bases today. The cricket with Trent Copeland. The AFLW finals with Tiger Rebecca Miller. At the start of the show, we spoke to Vince Rigari from the Sydney Morning Herald uh, about the Socceroos. We went back through the draft. So 19 days to go, 19 years ago was the 2003 National Draft. Uh, Brett Peak, first father-son selection for the Dockers, went on to play in a grand final for the Saints. Joined us, not mainly really about his journey post-footy uh, rather than his journey throughout his AFL career. But it's all on the podcast uh, if you want to have a listen. We also revealed our moments, best footy moments uh, we did 17 uh, through uh, 22. So getting uh, getting a bit of feedback on that and a few of the other suggestions. So uh, if you missed uh, that one, uh, Carmichael Hunt uh, as goal against Richmond was number 22. Number 21 was Chris Judd's breakout game, five goals against Brisbane in 2003. Chris Grant's winning goal in 2000 that ended the Bombers' uh, amazing streak that season when they won their first 20 games of the year. 19, Gary Moorcross, Mark, against the Bulldogs. In 2001, uh, number 18 was the line in the sand, Malay, and the demolition derby of 2000 just sparked up and started, uh, well, re-sparked the hawthorne and rivalry, sparked up the rivalry between West Coast and Fremantle. And number 17 was Choco Williams uh, grabbing the tie and telling Alan Scott he was wrong after the 2004 grand final. So Monday we'll do 16 through 11, uh, 6 through 10 on Tuesday and 1 to 5 on Wednesday. As we say, plenty coming through off the 40 winks uh, temper. People just getting a little bit excited. These moments might be in it next week. Uh, hi, Jules. How about the smother 
by Heath Shaw on Nick Rewalt on the goal line. Massive 2010 grand final replay. Well, don't want to give too much away, but there's a fair chance that will be in the top 16. That was an iconic uh, grand final moment. A-Rod getting more love. Another one loving the WWE theme music. All right, that's enough. That's enough. And see, I'll just let the audience in on a little secret. Rod still thinks it's real. He doesn't realise it's scripted, which is a little bit. I think Dermot's the same. I think Dermot actually thinks it's real as well. Uh, but he's doing a good job out there, A-Rod. Uh, let's just straighten up for a minute, of course. It is the semi-final of the World Cup tonight. As we've been, What was that? Uh, Jared Waitley uh, will be on the call. Trent Copeland and also Lisa Stalaker on SEN from 6.30. Now, we know Matthew Hayden's doing some work. Uh, with the Pakistan cricket team. He, as as well as the New Zealand captain, Kane Williamson, uh, spoke about this upcoming game yesterday. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's just focusing on our cricket. You come to these tournaments, and, and as we've seen, uh, all teams can beat each other, and it's um, certainly made way for a pretty exciting event. Uh, and, you know, I guess you're going through it trying to adjust to conditions as quickly as possible, make those changes to the different opposition and um, and really go out and try and express yourselves. And it's been nice that we've been able to see that um, throughout this competition. Um, and, you know, we we'll certainly want to be doing that again tomorrow. If I can take your minds way back to a different World Cup, and that was the 2007 World Cup, and Adam Gilchrist, you know, had, a, for his standards, quite a lean World Cup ahead of uh, that undefeated campaign for Australia. And if you remember that last match um, against Sri Lanka, he went on to score an incredible 100. Don't be surprised whatsoever if you don't see some fireworks because very special players don't often stay down for long. Look out the rest of the world because I think you're about to see something very special from Bubba. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.